This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we have a serial entrepreneur. We have a guy that has uh, built and sold 12 businesses. He's on number 13 and number 14. Mr. Aaron Walker, how are you doing today? Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I'm fired up. I'm Good. excited to be interviewed with you today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm uh, I'm fired up as well. And for those of you in the in the greater St. Louis area, you can hear a little bit of the uh, the Nashville uh oh, now, wait a minute i haven't got an accident every i saw a guy in the airport the other day and i walked past him i was with a guy and this guy hollered aaron walker and i turned around look he goes there ain't nobody got a voice like that i knew that had to be you and i started <laughs> laughing but hey, listen like god gave me a southern draw what can i say i can't I like help it, it man people can listen to southern draws or australians all day right that's what they <laughs> there like you go to. So, uh, well, hilarious. hey, man, it's, uh, it's been good, obviously, getting to know your story. And uh, But why don't you share our listeners with really what's made you the man you are today and, and, and uh, gotten you to the level you've gotten to. Hey, I'll go back real quick. I'll try not to make this interview about me. I came from a very, very humble background. That's a very nice way of saying broke, right? I didn't have anything. <laughs> My dad was a great man. Man, I love him. I miss him so bad. We lost him in 2006. But he didn't know anything about making money. I mean, my dad was a hard worker, loved his family, but he was a terrible business person. So I started working for a local pawn shop when I was 13 years old, fell in love with the business, ended up opening my own when I was 18. I met a couple of guys that had a lot of money here in Nashville and partnered with them, gave up two-thirds of the business to become a third partner in that venture, and God just blessed it. I mean, I'm just telling you, he opened the floodgates out on this business. We ended up with four locations. I sold out to a Fortune 500 company in Fort Worth, Texas when I was 27 years old. I'm like, man, this is the American dream. We go from broker to convict to being able to retire at 27, and I'm like, God. I don't have to pinch myself like what is this about until Robin woke me up from a nap 18 months later and she said listen I didn't sign up for this I mean we got married two weeks out of high school Brett so we've been wow. together from the very beginning and she said you're getting fat and lazy I mean my lord you've gained 50 pounds in 18 months I said I'm bored out of my mind she said you got to go get a job start another business I don't care what you do you got to get out of this house so I did. I went back, bought the company I started with when I was 13 years old. We took it to uh, levels that we never thought possible, four times the size it was. But, man, I want to tell you, my life come to a screeching halt. August 1st, 2001, I was headed to the office, 730 in the morning, and a guy named Enrique was crossing the street to catch a local bus. He didn't look my way, and, Brett, I ran over and killed a pedestrian and man you talking about everything coming to a screeching halt i don't know if you've ever been in a really really bad situation like that but it was like things slowed down it was like i was watching it at the theater it was like this can't be happening to me i mean my life i'm 40 years old got two beautiful daughters you know i'm working three days a week and my partner's working the other three days life doesn't get any better than this and boom man blindsided i mean life right changes. there yeah so Make a long story short, uh, they called me on Saturday morning. That was a Wednesday morning. They said Enrique didn't make it. He was 77 years old, had a wife, children. He was from the Philippines. He just didn't see me. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't doing anything I wasn't supposed to be doing. He just didn't see me. Well, make a real long story short, I decided to sell the business. I said, this is very stressful. I've been chasing money my whole life, and I'm going to sell the business. So I did. Robin and I spent the next five years traveling. We built a new house. I didn't work. I didn't do anything. It took a while, Brett, to get my legs back under me. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so uh, Robin, five years later, woke me up from another nap, and she said, you're getting fat and lazy again. It's time to go back to work. So we went in the construction business for about seven or eight years, and I took a construction company that was doing one or two projects 
uh, a year, and we turned it into number one three consecutive years in Middle Tennessee. God just really blessed it as well. And then when I turned 50, I retired again. Robin said, you've retired more than the law allows. I mean, what are you doing? And my mastermind members, Dan Miller and Dave Ramsey and Ken Abraham, some of those guys said, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm going to go down to the Caribbean and I'm going to sit in one of those little tiki huts and I'm going to look at the ocean. And Dan Miller said, that's the most selfish thing I've ever heard you say. And I said, what do you mean? I've been working since I was 13. He said, you're 50. And he said, Avery, you've had a dozen businesses. You and Robin have been married over 30 years. He said, you need to coach. And I said, I'm not coaching anybody. I'm finished. Dave Ramsey said, I'll gift Entree Leadership Mastery Series to you if you'll come do it. And I went, man, that's a $10,000 present. Sign me up. So I went and did it. And Brett, I loved it. It was like outrageous. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's like incredible. Dan Miller said, come do Innovate out at the sanctuary. So I did that. And he texted me on the way home because we all live here in Nashville. And he texted me. He said, Avery, those people were leaning in, listening to your stories. And I said, well, maybe I'm a good storyteller. And they said, no, you've got value to offer. You've done this a dozen times. You need to coach. So I started coaching a couple of guys and I got on a podcast and I've done a number of podcast interviews since then. And my business has just blown up. I mean, just national and international. We have nine mastermind groups now that I facilitate and I've got uh, these clients all over the world that I'm helping grow their businesses. And Brad, I'm just having the time of my life, man. I'm helping ordinary men become extraordinary in every arena of their life. Well, that's a beautiful story, and I think there's a lot of ways uh, we're going to make some we're going to make some uh, things happen here on this podcast. So I like it. So what what's the one thing when you look back? And I say the one thing because there's obviously lots of them. But if you said if you could give this entrepreneur listening right now one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, build relationships intentionally. Without a question. My dad was a master at that. We used to go to fishing tournaments and I'd show up and they'd go, Hey, Aaron, where's your dad? And I'm like, what about me? I mean, I'm here. And they're like, where is your dad? My dad loved people and people love my dad. And I saw my dad. He was a master at building relationships. See, the truth of the matter is nobody cares what you say. They only care how you make them feel. And my dad made people feel important. My dad made people feel like they were special because they were. And I Watch that from afar. And we've used that our entire career. Always put people ahead of profit. And if you do that, I'm telling you, there's no stopping you. And so what I would suggest today is not be introverted and sit in your office behind the screen, but go to events, get around people because people will take you to the next level. So build relationships intentionally. And don't you think that's important too when you when you think about that? You know, there's people that they want to build that relationship but only if there's something in it for them right and oh, you know, my man. outlook has always been I, I literally just had a friend call me that had a speaking engagement and couldn't be at it and wanted to know if I could do it and, and my immediate response was yes and doing it for free right because that I'm, I'm getting a friend out of a bind and I don't say that to brag I'm saying that is because sure. I believe in what you're saying is build those long-term relationships that you know for for people that always want to look at it as what's in it for me I don't think you can do that would you agree with that Absolutely. Uh, there's a great book Adam Grant wrote called Givers and Takers. You're one or the other, right? And I want to surround myself with givers because if you bring it strong enough, you're going to get from the natural reciprocity all you need and want. Each and every day, we spend about 25% of our time giving. We'll do podcast interviews, endorsements. We'll do video endorsements. We reach out. We edify. We encourage. We lift up. And as a result of that, people go, hey, Big A, I want you to be on my podcast, or I want you to come speak here. I want you to do this. I want you to meet this person. See, because we're givers. I did a little experiment recently, Brett, and I wrote a blog post about it. I went to the Panera Bread, and I sat there for about 30 minutes. The first 15 I minutes. You, I real quick. It's St. Louis Bread company uh, st louis bread company okay <laughs> they got so a rule I said, here in st louis but it's outside of 50 miles they, they call it panera but in st louis it's called st louis bread company st louis bread company i was sitting at the entrance <laughs> so i'm sitting there and i did this intentionally everybody walked through the door i gave them a solemn look i didn't smile i didn't wave i just stared at them <laughs> that's exactly what i got back Every person, yep. 15 minutes. That's a long time, too. A lot of people came through there. So I kind of mentally recorded that. 
The next 15 minutes, people walk in the door. I smiled real big. I laughed. I waved. I showed them a big grin. I looked at them, and they, everyone smiled. They waved back. They nodded their head. They gave me a thumbs up. They're like a virtual bump, you know, fist bump as they walk by. And here's what I'm trying to say. If you want to get it, you got to bring it. And you're going to get exactly what you bring. So you got to be a giver. You got to be willing to go out there and give. And when you do that, man, it just comes back by the bucket loads. Yeah, well, that stuff is definitely contagious, isn't it? So when you look at your life and, and, and from whether it was 13 and, until you know now, um, what was your morning routine like? Were you, were you one of these guys that got up and did the same thing every morning for success or what did that look like for you? Yeah, I'm very, very regimented. Matter of fact, I'm regimented to a point of boring. <laughs> I okay. believe in regiment and I'm telling you for decades now, my morning starts early between four and five every morning. I'm a person of faith, so I'm a Christian. And so for me, each and every day starts with a time of meditation, being quiet, uh, the next 15, 20 minutes is reading scripture. Oftentimes I'll listen to praise and worship music. I have two prayer lists, one for family and one for clients. And I go down through those and I'm just quiet and I listen. So every single morning, hour, hour and a half starts that way for decades. I believe in it. It's good for me. It gets my mind settled. Uh, it gets me pointed in the right direction. It gets my priorities uh, in the right order, and it just kind of centers me. Man, when you get up and you're spewing around like a half-cock Sprite can, like how in the world are you going to get your day going with any semblance of order whatsoever? So for me, that's the way it starts each and every day. And I walk. I love to go to the Greenway and walk, and oftentimes I'll go down to the Y and do some things there, and you kind of get your – morning going so yeah for me also we do our business that way i have a google spreadsheet that we know exactly what the theme the books the titles the interviews the blog titles uh we know every single thing that we're going to do each and every day i go to chicago and meet my coo there once a quarter and we plan the entire quarter i know what i'm going to do every single day it keeps the shiny object syndrome at bay and i know if i put my head down and i do these tasks every day i'm going to be successful so would you say that that's how uh, or what keeps you motivated, keeps you inspired, keeps you going is, is having that process? Because obviously not everything goes your way, right? You get disappointment or sure. you get the client. You think you're going to you think you're going to get the client and you don't. So what do, you, what do you do exactly to stay engaged and stay highly motivated? Yeah, well, here's the thing. You know, my mom, when I was a kid, used to have a little saying, can't, couldn't do it and could did it all. So I was raised early on with a can-do attitude. She wouldn't allow us to say the word can't. She'd say, you might not be able to do it, but you're going to try. And as a result of her pushing me through these upper limit challenges, I gained a lot of self-confidence. And now my mindset is, is I can do this. Like, what, do you, what is it you want me to do? It's like, yes, not cocky, not arrogant, but confident. And I believe that you have to develop that mindset. Carol Dweck wrote a great book. Uh, called mindset and it's a growth or a fixed mindset well i don't have a fixed mindset i'm like you give me enough time give me instruction give me some coaches get me in a mastermind group you give me i'll figure it out right i have a growth mindset so i think it's very very important that you do that the other thing is no to me just means no for today you know what i'm saying it doesn't mean no forever recently i wrote a new book called view from the top and i sent it out to seth godin and i wanted him to endorse it Quickly, I got it back, and he said, Aaron, I'm sure it's a good book, he said, but I don't have time to read it. And I'm like, darn, I wanted his endorsement. You know, I've got some amazing endorsements, <laughs> but I wanted Seth's. And so I said, hey, that's cool. I understand. I get it. So published the book. Well, I wrote another book called The Mastermind Blueprint, and I sent it to him again. Like most people wouldn't have done that. Like, no, I've been turned down. 48 hours, I get an endorsement back from him. He said, the Mastermind Blueprint is amazing. You crushed it, and here's my endorsement. But you don't think I didn't put it on the front cover, do you? But anyway, I'm like, yes. <laughs> See, the thing is is that we've got to have that mindset of keep going, growth mindset. Uh, people talk about fear and how it holds you down all the time, you know. And I say that, listen, fear missing an opportunity more than you fear failure. You know, it's like I couldn't lay in the bed at night and think, could I have done it? And you've just got to go for it. you got to get it out of your mind that other people are talking about you and all that. That's a bunch of bull. We're not sitting around our table talking about people's successes or failures. But we allow people to hold us at bay and because it might not work. Well, it might not work, but it for sure not going to work if you don't try it. So I think it's just right. all mindset. 
So how many, uh, let me ask you before I even ask you that question, how many fears? Let's talk about fear for a second. Has that played a major role in your life? No, not at all. I mean, I'm okay. afraid. Yeah, I'm a human. You cut me and I bleed. I mean, we're all afraid, right? There's certain things. There's a healthy fear. There's some things that we need to be afraid of. It's kind of like we went through the Panama Canal recently, and there it's called mules, and they put a cable on each end of the cruise ship on the front and the left, and then they go halfway, do another one, go to the rear and do another one, and they pull it very taunt, and it keeps the cruise ship in the middle of the Panama Canal. Well, that's kind of what guardrails are or people or accountability partners or mastermind members are. Embrace the tension. It's never going away. It's always going to be there, right? But it pulls you. If you are if you never are afraid, you need to be afraid. <laughs> you need to be afraid of not being afraid because it's healthy. If you're like, man, I should be here. Or I should be there. I should be spending more time at home or more time at work. That's a healthy tension. It's like if we don't do the right thing, we're going to lose our family. If we don't do the right thing, we're going to lose our business. But embrace it. Don't be afraid of it. And so when the fears, when you think about that, and this is a question we talk about very, very often on this show is, the fears you did put in your mind, though, how many of them came true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Yeah, 1% or, or whatever. I mentioned earlier in the you know introduction, you know, I'm a Christ follower, and I don't want to get all spiritual on you, but the truth is, is God holds my future in his hand, and I'm confident of that, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to work like it depends on me and trust like it depends on God because I can't control the outcome anyway. I'm just going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to do all I can do, and I'm going to trust him alone for the outcome. And so that eliminates a lot of fear for me. I'm writing that one down. That's good stuff right there. So what risk are you happy you took? Looking back at your life again and, and all the success you've had, what's, what's that one risk that was kind of that defining moment for you? I'm a risk taker. I just am. I mean, I have been that way my entire life. When I was young, 18 years old, the guy that I went in partners with said, we were going to go to the bank. We're going to sign a note and we want you to sign the note. We've got the money to put in it, but we want you to have skin in the game. I said, I got to talk to some people about that. And I was still living at home. I was in like high school. So I go home and talk to my mom. My mom goes, what do you got to lose? I mean, right. what are they going to come and get? You don't have anything. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. So I went back. I said, hey, I'll sign any notes you want. <laughs> I haven't got anything anyway. And yeah. so I rolled the dice on that. Here's the big thing, and it's kind of switching gears on you just a little bit, and I don't mean to, but I think this is very important. Robin and I decided when we got married, when we did take that risk, and it was a big risk. Listen, I was 18 years old. That was $150,000. I don't know what that equates to today, but that was a lot of money in the 70s. And I'm like, that's a lot of money today. But anyway, in the 70s when you're 18, these guys handed me a checkbook, $150,000 in it, and they said, go open the pawn shop. I went out and got my car, and I sat there, and I looked down at that checkbook, and I wanted to throw up. I mean, I was so nervous. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And I went to Robin, and I said, Robin, listen, you came from a more poor environment than I did, if that's possible. I mean, neither one of us had anything. I said, we can't screw this up. And here's what we did. Very important. If you don't hear anything else in the interview, hear this. We delayed gratification. What we did, that was a 10-year loan, and I could have paid it off in a 10-year period. Instead, we lived in a 500-square-foot condo, right? I paid $19,500 for this condo, $207 a month. I'll never forget it. That was my mortgage. I put $500 down. I said, we're going to take every dollar that we make, and we're going to put it back in the business, it took us 36 months. We paid off that store. So by this time, I'm 21 years old, almost 22. We had a paid-for store. Now, listen, here's what's very important. I said, I can duplicate that again. Same process, but it took four years to pay off the next one. My point is, is that Dave Ramsey teaches live like no one else today, so later you can live like no one else. Nobody, Brett, wants to do that. Everybody wants to go, hey, what is the payment? You know, if I can afford the payment, I'll go get it. And later, you're going to have a little bit of uh, trouble maybe in your business, and they're going to come get everything you own because you've leveraged yourself to the hilt. Well, we built these companies up and we paid for them. And then when it was time for a Fortune 500 company to come to Nashville and want to be here, we had something big enough they wanted to buy. That would have never happened in a million years had we not invested the money. My point is, is delay gratification. Live like no one else today so later you can live like no one else. Yeah, and so that's huge. I mean, that's a huge uh, learning is to get it all. I mean, we're in the investment business, right? So we talk about that and 
not living outside your means. But yeah, I think you were in ultimate control, right? I mean, if, if stuff hit the fan, you had a lot of leverage there and a lot of uh, sure I did. success. A lot of assets and, and uh, right, I could ride the storm. I could weather it out. Now, listen, I'm not opposed completely of leverage. I mean, on an appreciating asset, I'll borrow money in a minute if it's a piece of property or you know real property. But the thing is, is be careful, right? Do something that's highly leveraged that is a percentage of your uh, assets, not your whole assets. And uh, where there's nothing ventures, there's nothing gained. And I've taken some big risk over the course of my life. Uh, just don't do something that puts your family out on the street. Yep. So let's talk about the mastermind for a minute. Because I'm a huge believer in this. I, I've had for over three years, I did a uh, what I call my executive forum, which is basically the same thing I'm assuming as the mastermind. But uh, and now in a um, you know new town that we're uh, have an office in, I've got another one now with five guys, and so. We get together once a month, we have lunch for an hour, and then we talk whatever it is that topic is going to be for an hour and help each other grow, right? So I'm assuming that's something the mastermind is about, but tell us the importance of that and why you want to have one of those. Well, here's the thing. So in 1994, 1995, somewhere around in there, uh, I was at a Chamber of Commerce breakfast, and I met this guy starting a new radio show in Nashville. Went up, introduced myself to him. Ends up, it's Dave Ramsey's on one station in Nashville. I start sponsoring his show. I go 21 straight years sponsoring his show. He becomes one of my best friends. Well, if you back up two years after that or so, a couple years after that, I don't remember exactly, he invited me. He saw me at, a, at the Curb Center in Nashville. We were at a Mercy Me concert. And he came up and he said, hey, he said, I've got a mastermind I've started and I want you to join. I said, well, that'd be great. What is a mastermind? Right. <laughs> he started laughing. He said, just come to my office Wednesday morning, seven o'clock. I'll introduce you to the guys. So I get there. I'm a nervous wreck. You know, I'm like a cat on a tin roof. I walk in there like I don't know anybody. And I sit down. He starts introducing me to all these guys. And I said, what is this about? Like, what are we going to do? I mean, we got a Ouija board we bring out. What, like, what do we do? And he starts laughing and he said, we're going to do life together. We're going to read books. We're going to talk about business plans. We're going to talk about family. And I'm like, wow, that's a pretty cool concept. You know, I wasn't familiar with it. So we start doing it week after week after week, and that turned into months, and that turned into years. And they became like my family. We travel together. We go on vacation, you know, various places. Um, some of the guys went in business together. But it allowed you to have your own board of directors. It allowed you to have a place that you could subject yourself to the scrutiny of other people uh, with no preconceived notions. There was no condemnation. There was no judgmentalness. There was, it was like a safe place. And I'm like, man, this feels good because the veil can come down and I can be honest and transparent and I can be vulnerable and I don't have to worry about what somebody else thinks. And these guys are going to give me great feedback because they have nothing to gain or lose as a result of what they tell me. And it became a safe haven for me. Week after week, I'd go in there and present something. They'd go, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Or big A, you need to do more of that, or you need to stop talking about that and do this, or you need to be better to Robin. You need to do this with your kids. And I'm like, man, these guys are so full of wisdom and knowledge, and they just kept helping me. So now I've been in these for decades, literally. And when I started my business, I said, I've got to replicate that. And I did. I created Iron Sharpens Iron. And now we have, you know, 80, 90 guys in all of our groups, and we're able to help them do those same things. There's no way I would ever be in a position again that I didn't have those guys around me. It is absolutely the catalyst that has helped us have some measure of success. What's the one thing, if I had to ask you, Aaron, that you believe in that maybe a lot of people don't believe in and they may challenge your thinking on it? What is that thing? What is that thing about the mastermind? No, just in life. I mean, it's something that, you know, maybe you and I could debate for a while that, you know what, I'm going to go to the mat. I believe this. This is absolutely going to happen. Well, here's the thing that's so counterintuitive uh, to do, and that's to show your cards, to have the mindset of abundance instead of scarcity. And here's what happens, and I see it happen. When I was in the construction business, it was a very, very competitive business, and we happened to be one of the top builders out of 10 elite builders in Nashville. And uh, we finally formed uh, the Master Custom Builder Council, where the 10 top builders came together, and we started comparing notes and sharing best practices. And you're like, you're crazy. 
That's your competition. Let me tell you what happened. As a result of that, we would have vendors come to us and say, hey, I would like to pitch my new product to the 10 builders. And they would. And they'd say, if you guys will pool your resources and buy a large amount of this, we'll reduce the cost. Well, when you've got vendors lining up doing that, what happens? Your cost goes down and it makes you more competitive. So then we would have subcontractors that would come in. And if I wasn't using that subcontractor, I'd give him to the next guy and he would use him. So we would keep them busy. Then we would do parade of homes and we would give the money to charity and we're competitors in nature, but we're almost vetting each other. So if we're busy, I can send them to the next guy. Well, the last year I was in construction, those 10 builders, we did $115 million in business as a result of pooling our resources, our best practices, getting to know each other. You can do that in any industry. And right now there's people out there listening and go, man, there's no way I would share that. It's because you have a scarcity mentality. When you have an abundance mentality, it just opens other doors. I had a guy call me recently, and he said, Big A, I want to get in your mastermind group. He said, but I got to tell you, I want to coach just like you do, and I want to lead masterminds just like you do, and I just think it's fair for me to tell you that the only reason I'm coming is because I want to learn what you're doing. And I said, praise the Lord. Come on, man. I'll teach you everything I know. I'll show you the systems. I'll tell you how I get people. I'll tell you about my podcast interviews. And he goes, are you kidding? I said, no, man. There's tons of people that can be helped as a result of that. I've helped four or five people that work for me go in competition against me. See, I want to have people that I can take them to the next level, that I can help them accomplish their dreams. Here's the thing. Those people today will run through a wall for me. They will help me. They will introduce me to other people. When we were builders, the parade of homes, other builders would come in, and they'd say, man, that's a cool mantle. Let me show you where we got it. Let me show you what it costs. Let me show you who can put it in for you. I'll even make an introduction to help you get a mantle like that. And they're like, are you serious? I'm dead serious. And then you know what would happen? Anytime I needed something, I could go to them easily and get anything I wanted. And that's the foreign concept today that we think that we can't show, we can't share, we can't give value. But the truth of the matter is the more you do that, the more successful you're going to be. Yeah. And like you said, abundance versus scarcity, right? That's it. So how do you push through the struggles? And we talked a little bit about that yesterday, a little bit earlier, um, you know, about battling, pushing through motivation, inspiration, all that. But what do you do to push through the struggles or the tough days? Yeah, well, here's the thing. We all have that, right? You're human. We all do that. Gay Hendricks wrote a great book called The Big Leap, and he teaches us to push through these upper limit challenges. And in that, you've got to have people around you. The enemy to excellence is isolation. And in order to go to the next level, you've got to have people around you, whether it be a mastermind, whether it be an accountability group, you've got to have regular, and I will even challenge you a little bit, once a month is not often enough. You need to be meeting at least twice a month. A lot of life happens in 30 days. And you need to have interaction with those guys. I would challenge you to up that to a couple of times a month. We meet weekly because a lot of stuff happens weekly. And so we need that level. Brian Moran wrote the 12-week year, and we've implemented that strategy in our business, and a lot of the guys that I coach have implemented that. Our biggest enemy is procrastination. And when you implement a strategy that keeps your head down and focused and you do the lead indicators each and every day and not focus on the goal but focus on the task, you accomplish way more. And we help guys stay on track in the accountability every single week because here's what's happened. Nobody knows, nobody holds you accountable, and you procrastinate. Hey, I'll do this later. And you develop a mentality of dealing with the urgent rather than the things that are important, and you keep pushing off your goals and you never accomplish them. So that's the reason that you need to have people around you ongoing in order for you to accomplish your goals. Yeah, and I think that 12-week year by Brian Moran, we've, we've used that for a few years in, in the past in our firm, and it is phenomenal. For those that don't know what it is, it's, it's basically taking uh, the, the next 12 weeks and, and making a goal that's going to happen because if you put a yearly goal out there, right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like it's forever away, and we can sometimes uh, procrastinate, like you said, and, and then next thing we know, it's, you know, now it's, October 11th uh, and we don't you know we only got a few days left right in the year and so when you look at that that 12-week year walk us also through what you're doing what your successful clients are doing walk us through the goal planning process 
You know, there's uh, there's a guy, it's an amazing guy. His name's Derek Champagne. He owns the Advisors XL. He's down in Arkansas. And he's got about 30 people on his team. He helped me with my book launch, and he's just an amazing guy. He's in our mastermind group. And he implemented this strategy with all 30 people. And he said, you know what? We're spewing around like this bottle rocket with no stick, right? We're in all these different directions. This guy's doing this, and the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And I'm going to focus our energies. I'm going to kind of virtually grab everybody's head, focus it on one thing. And he said recently, and I can't repeat how much, but it was multi-seven figures that they were able to get as a result of using that 12-week year because they all joined forces, all 30 of them, and they focused on the same goal. And when they did that, they knew the task that they had to accomplish each day. Each person had their task that they were responsible for. And when they did that, it's just the results come. What happens, Brett, and you know well as I do, we start out of the gate strong. You know, everybody's, you know, running full steam. And then second day, third day, fourth day, and then it's like on back to the urgent things. But when you can have that camaraderie and that experience of the accountability and you focus on the task, you have to report because in that system, you have to rank yourself every day. There's a percentage and you have to say, I'm 85% of goal today or 90% or 100%. And then you tally that up and you're looking at it each and every day. Well, when you do that, it's like anything. We, we do Facebook Lives every week. You know, we have three blogs that we write. You know, there's podcast interviews that I have goals that I'm going to do each and every week. And as a result of that, you start reaching your potential. You start reaching a critical mass. And then it kind of starts going, you know what I'm saying, on its own. And it's picking up speed. But if you don't ever get it to that point, you fizzle out and you go to the next thing. And it's just staying the task uh, for the 12 weeks. And you're hugely accomplished because of it. Do you find that people are putting their year goal and then just dividing it by four and that's their next 12-week goal? Or what do you see the most? No, I'm day? seeing guys that are accomplishing two and three times using this process what they normally would annually. You don't look at it as, you know, uh, doing what you just said dividing it up by four and doing that it's like no let's get a stretch goal here's the other thing a lot of people are like bummed or like you know i didn't reach my goal but the truth is is you will accomplish more doing that process even if you don't hit it than if you didn't have it and i even asked derek that question when he was doing it i said was that business already there or did you create it he said no it was already there it's just that we focused on it and that's the same that you can do in whatever industry you're in. See, here's the thing. Greg McCowan wrote Essentialism. And in that book, he talks at length about being an inch deep and a mile wide. We think we got to do 15 things to be extremely successful. That's not true. You need to be an inch wide and a mile deep. You need to do one or two things. Recently, we let something go that was very profitable to us. It was our community. And I didn't want to do that, but the truth of the matter is my focus was divided. I had the mastermind groups and I had the community. Well, I couldn't give 100% to either one because I had two. So Jay Papazan uh, and Gary Keller wrote, oh, yeah. you know, the one thing. What is your one thing? People hear that, and it doesn't have to be one thing forever and more. It can be one thing at a time, right? And so you want to get focused on that. Well, when we dropped the community and we got focused on our mastermind groups, I filled up an entire mastermind group in 10 days because I had focus. And it's just where you can make the impact. And if you read that book, you'll see how they were highly successful by focusing on one thing. So what's your game changer this year? If you look at your year as a whole or your next 12 weeks, whatever it may be, what's the game changer for you? I think it has to be what we're talking about right now. It's uh, I'm pulling the blinders in more narrow each and every day, and it's masterminds. And I'm focusing on masterminds. We have a lot of things that we're about to lay out, one of them being a done-for-you mastermind. Uh, we own another company called Interview Valet, Tom Schwab and I do, where we – get guest on podcast and he and I are partners in that business. And it started as a result of me doing podcast and Tom doing podcast. And we said, we can do a concierge white glove service and done for you. You know, all you got to do is get on and do the interview. We do everything else. Well, we're going to do the same thing with masterminds. Four years, we've been developing the processes and the systems, and we're going to host it for people. And all you got to do is show up, facilitate the mastermind group. We take care of everything else. So you can go deep on one thing if you focus on it so there are many many levels we've got nine groups now and we'll have regions it'll not only be national but it'll become international because we're going to have regions for iron sharpens iron and so well, it looks there's like you and i are going to be talking after this good, recording as good. well. 
<laughs> so what I'm saying is, is that most people don't want to do the masterminds because they don't know where to get started. And so we've developed these systems. We have virtual assistants that do a lot of the admin work. And I've got my assistant that does a lot to onboard. And we've got all the systems and the processes. We already know it. We know what the theme is going to be, the book, the questions, the blog titles. I know everything that I'm going to do related to this month because we read a book every month. We have a theme every month. I've got the questions already written out. They're in our directory. It's like, dude, this is like unbelievable. And we develop those systems and processes so that we can scale it so that we can grow. Now we have facilitators that I've been training for two years that are going to lead it. You're going to do revenue share and we're going to grow from inside out. And so we're developing a whole system around mastermind. Well, I could have done mastermind in the community and this and that and had six different streams of income, but I wouldn't been the category king in any of them. And so you've got to focus on something to be really good at it. It just takes time. You've got to put your 10,000 hours in, and you've got to keep your head down. You'll be hugely successful. So when you look at a day, and, and uh, I, I don't know, maybe there is a perfect day. So what, what's that perfect day look like for you? You know, I don't know that anybody has perfect days all the time. My life's pretty good right now. I mean, it's uh, busy. I've condensed it down to four-day work weeks. I work Monday through Thursday. I did that. This is interesting for your listeners as well. So two years ago, I mean, you know, I retired six years ago, and then I started working again, and my wife's like, seriously? I mean, you're going to work this hard? And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start taking off on Fridays. And it made me nervous to think about it. I said, I won't never get it all done. And I started right. thinking about it. Well, here's what happened. That was two years ago. I started taking Fridays off. Now I work Monday through Thursday. I get more done now than I did the four years prior, and I make twice as much money. And the reason is because I pay attention every day. There's a lot of wasted time in your day. I'm just going to be honest with you. People say, I don't have time to do this. That's not true. You monitor your time. You do an inventory, and you watch how much time you waste. Everything goes on my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, it doesn't get done. And I operate very regimented. I'm very scheduled on my calendar, and I get twice as much done uh, in four days than I did in five, just simply because I'm paying attention. So for me, that's an ideal day. I love to take off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm not perfect at it, you know, like sometimes I may have something I have to do on Friday. But as a rule, you know, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 90, 95% of the time I take that off. And I like, you know, Robin and I can leave on Thursday night after, you know, I get home and we got, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to do whatever and or get back Saturday night so we can you know, we're pretty active in our church and we can be there. So it's pretty sweet right now, Brett, just to be honest with you. And I like it. Yeah, we live intentionally. We live very proactive. We very I wrote a document called What Do I Want? If you'll reach out to me, I'll be happy to give you a copy of it. But it's twenty five questions designing the life that you want to live. And I'll give it to you for free if you want to reach out to me. Absolutely. What um how do you define success now? I mean, you obviously had your, yeah. in, in your words, you said chasing money early on. You had the event on August 1st, 2001. Yeah. Um, how do you define success? Well, here's the thing. You, you can't put a blanket over success and just say, you know, this is what everybody should do. You know what I'm saying? We're in all different seasons of life. We all have things that are important to us. Um, for me, the significance part is as important, if not more important, uh, than, than, than success. But for me, success, first of all, is choosing my calendar. I, I love being able to look at my schedule and go, you know, I just don't think I'm going to work today. I mean, you know, I mean, that doesn't, I don't want that to sound wrong, but it's like I love having the freedom to be able to do that. Um, I love having an engaging family. My family and I are really, really close. I have two daughters that are grown, 35 and 31. They both work with us in our business. We own another business, uh, Robin and I do, and they're involved in some of that as well. Uh, I love to do that. Uh, I love to have a clear conscience. I love to lay down at night and go, you know what? I gave it all I got. I squeezed every drop out of the tile today. I didn't leave anything on the field. I gave it all I've got today. I love doing that. I try to take care of myself. You know, I walk on the greenway a lot. I want to learn to be content, but not complacent. I never want to be complacent. I want to keep the pedal down. I want to go. I want to grow. I'm a creator and developer, but I want to be learned to be content. You know, God's word teaches us to learn to be content in all situations. And I want to learn how to do that. Uh, 
I want to be able to maybe change uh, lives of other people. You know, I don't want to just look at me and say, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And at the end of the day, quite honestly, success for me is leaving a legacy of wisdom. My kids can look back one day and say, hey, my dad gave it all he had. He was an honorable man and uh, he went for it. So for me, that's what success is. Well, it sounds like you're doing that. So congratulations, man. Thank you, buddy. What would you say? I mean, so many people, especially on these podcasts, you know, they we all talk about our successes and and, and rarely do we talk about the struggles, right? And I think it's important because we all have them, right? Every single day we sure. have the struggles. So what would you say right now in your life? What's the challenge and what are you doing? What's the game plan to get over the challenge? And uh, you know, kind of what, what's that feel like? Well, here's the thing too. No matter how much money you've got, no matter how much success you've got, you'll always have challenges. You'll never make enough money to feel totally secure and safe. Nobody does. It's always just a little bit more, right? The The problem and the challenge that I face today is the same one that I chased and you know had when I was 18. There's so many opportunities out there. It's focusing on the one that you feels right for you. Just getting clarity on the way you should go. You ever been to the crossroads and you're like, do I turn left or right? You know, that's a big decision. It's like if I turn left and get halfway down that road and find out I'm on the wrong road, what do I do then? And there's some fear associated with that. When I was in the pawn shop business when I was 18 years old, that was one of the few opportunities that I had, and I took advantage of it. This guy named Kyle Lugnot called me recently and said he read my book, and he said, Big A, I'm a millennial. And your situation in the 70s is different than my situation is today. And he had a very valid point. He said, I have the Internet today. He said, there's so many opportunities. I don't know which one to pick. And the challenge today is there's so, so many shiny objects. There's so many things out there. And a lot of people you'll hear, you know, follow your passion. Well, that's true to a point. But let me challenge you on that. Passion is an exhaustible resource. And you can stay passionate for a little while. But if you don't have purpose, no amount of passion will keep you there long term. And no amount of money will keep you there long term. So I would encourage you, what is your purpose? What is your why? Why are you trying to accomplish this or that in that particular field? If you can't decide what your purpose is, you need to stay where you're at until you do decide. See, my purpose is helping ordinary men become extraordinary. That gets me up every day when people call me and say, Big A, because of what you said, my life is different. Because you helped me with this, my marriage is better. And I was able to accomplish this and I stayed focused. That's my purpose. If it was just money and that's what it was for me early on, you get bored pretty quick because it doesn't scratch the itch you think it's going to scratch when you get it. It's nice. I hate it when people with money go, money's not important. I want to go, you liar. It is important. It's very, let's take it away from you and see how important it is. But don't <laughs> right. make it your God. Don't make it the only focus. Don't make it the only reason you're doing what you're doing because you'll soon find out it's not enough. Learn to be content, but not complacent. Really pick out your purpose and not just your passion. Yeah, it's, it's easy to say it's not important, right? When you got, you know, the people that say that and they got millions and hundreds <laughs> of millions of dollars in the bank. It's easy to say that. Sure, it's not but when true. you're on the ground. Right. right, you got to have it. It's important. You want to pay the mortgage, you got to have money. That's right. So if you look back, uh, you can go 10, 15 years back. What's the advice you'd give Aaron Walker that uh, 10 years ago? Yeah, I would learn to enjoy the now. Uh, even more. I was always, you know, I'll be happy when you fill in the blank. I get a little more money, another store, another $50,000, or I get a place on the beach, then I'll be happy. See, happiness is a choice, not a trait. And we've got to decide to be happy today. If you don't decide to be happy today, no amount of money is going to make you happy. It's going to give you other options. It's going to make things more comfortable. I get all that, and I agree with you. It does. And I'm not that guy that says, oh, you know, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. No. I, I love to take vacations. I love to go places. I love to have nice things. But I want to own it. I don't want that to own me. And so I want to be the director. I want to be in charge. I want to be proactive. And I would tell myself, hey, learn to be content but not complacent. All right, here's a game we're going to play. I give you $10 bucks, but you cannot donate it. And you cannot, like, you know, not that you have any, but pay off debts and anything. Yeah, it's kind of boring stuff, right? So you cannot donate it and you can't pay off debts. 
what are you doing with 10 million bucks I just gave you? Yeah, I would further the mastermind that we're doing now. I would buy a retreat center, which I'm thinking about now, or building one that we would have our own Iron Sharpens Iron retreat center. Uh, I would implement more strategies and processes with that money to train men a little faster than it's taking now to do that so that I could do revenue share with them and put them in because there's men need to hear what we're teaching and that's to how to live a successful and significant life. I want to teach you to do both. I don't want to just teach you how to make money and you come home one day with a pocket full of it to a house full of strangers. You don't know your wife's favorite color and you don't know your kid's baseball teacher because you're spending all your time at the office. I think men today need to be that leader and I think I could do that faster with that $10 million that you're going to give me. I like it. Don't hold me to that. Are the checks in the mail? I'll wait on it. I'll hold my uh, breath. <laughs> you'll wait. You'll hold your <laughs> breath, right? Uh, Besides the Bible, best book. How, and besides yours. <laughs> there you go. How to Win Friends and Influence People is a must read. They, they should one. make you read that book before you can graduate yeah. because it helps you understand how to treat people. I like that. You're stranded on an island. You can only take two things with you. What are you taking? My wife. <laughs> are we talking about people or answer. things tangible? I'm taking my wife. Let's talk about things. <laughs> people and you, you I'm taking my wife. Right? I'll forego both things to take her, but she's the champion. Exactly. Uh, two things. Uh, and you say, I can't take the Bible? Is that what you said? Okay. Wow. What am I taking? I'm going to take an internet connection. I'm going to take Wi-Fi, and I'm going to take my laptop because if I had those two things, I could make a living, no problem. I like it. That's what my kids say. They he always says they're going to take their iPhone, but then you got to bring the charger because you may run out of batteries. <laughs> That's so. true. That goes with thinking. it. So right. Exactly. So when you look at life right now, and, and I'm, I think I know the answer to this, but if uh, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you be doing? Uh, just what I'm doing right now. I would be leading mastermind groups and I would be coaching men. Absolutely. Without a question. No hesitation. And I want to go back to that August 1st day because mm -hmm. there's lots of people that have dealt with yeah. you know, trauma and, and different things. And, uh, and you've handled that like a champion. So one, congratulations to that because most people probably would go a different route and you have chosen and it is a choice, right? So you have chosen to not do that. Walk our listeners through that and, and how you battled through it. Cause I yeah. guarantee you, there's no way that was easy for quite a while. How did you battle through that and get to Yeah, it was tough that? just to be honest with you. It was one of the most difficult things I've been through, if not the most difficult thing. So here's the thing. I called our legal counsel when it happened and I said, Hey, you got to know what happened. And he said, whatever you do, don't contact them, don't go around them, don't talk to them. And I'm like, that feels so cold. Hung up the phone, you know, and I thought about it and I prayed about it, talked to Robin about it, and I picked up the phone uh, three days later after Enrique didn't make it, and I found the family and I called them. Direct opposite of what the legal counsel said do. I said, you know, are you serious? Like, seriously? Attorneys are scratching their head right now listening well, to Well, you know what? It is what it is. But the truth of the matter is, right. is it's never profit over people. It's always people first. And so I called the family and said, listen, yeah. introduce myself. And they said, Mr. Walker, we know what happened. And, uh, you know, we'd warned him time and time again not to go out alone. And he did. He didn't see you, couldn't see well. And I said, I wanted to pay my condolences. Hey, I know we may be going a little bit long, but i got to tell you a quick story about this. And I've only told this on two other interviews, and I feel a little bit compelled to tell it here, but it's about this. So anyway, paid my condolences. I didn't go there, you know, in person, but I had to tell them I was sorry. And they said, hey, we get it. It was not your fault, but thank you for calling. So let's fast forward. That's in 2001. Well, let me go back. I don't want to get off track. So I had accountability partners that came around me, people at my church that came around me. I had a professional counselor that I went to for years to walk through that. I mean, you just don't run over and kill somebody and get over it. God gives you the grace no. to learn how to deal with it, and that's what God gave me. And so you never get over it. That sounds like terrible. Yeah, You don't get over it. You just learn how to deal with it. So I did. So it was people. I had to have people around me. I didn't want to come out of my bedroom for days, you know, after that, because like, I mean, that's pretty heavy. So anyway, worked through that, got the people around me. The worst thing that you can do when you're in a tragedy is stay alone. 
the enemy to excellence, yeah. as I said earlier, is isolation. So you, you want to get around other people. You don't want to be isolated. They can help you work through that. So fast forward five years later, my dad gets cancer. He goes to the hospital. I'm with him every day in the ICU. So week or so in, I leave to go get lunch. I come back, and my mom's sitting there, and she's looking all kind of weird. And I was like, well, what's going on? And she said, nothing. I said, bull. I said, what did they tell you? I mean, what's wrong? And she said, well, I didn't really want to tell you. But she said, look through that glass wall right there, and you see that little nurse. And I said, yeah. And she said she was telling us a story about her dad. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. Her dad uh, was killed five years ago in an automobile accident. And I looked at her and I said, you got to be kidding me. And she said, no. Well, the irony of the story is, is that girl is the girl I called five years before. And she was taking care of my dad the last two weeks of his life. And so what I'm saying is, is you never know. You know what I'm saying? You never know what's going to come back around. And so you need to be nice to everybody because you just don't know what's coming back around. So that's how I got over it. Get people around you, help you. You're all going to face things that are difficult. We all are, right? We're carnal. We're human. Things are going to happen. And we weren't designed to go this life alone. We were designed to be in community. So the more you can get a small group, get an inner circle that can get around you, get in a mastermind, get accountability group, and they can help you do life like you never expected. Well, that's an unbelievable story, and thank you for sharing that. So where can our listeners find more of you? Are you a social media guy? Yeah, I mean, you can follow me on Facebook, Aaron Walker, you know, View from the Top. You can follow me. I'd love for you to do that. We do three or four Facebook Lives a week, and that's a lot of fun. I love to do that. You can go to viewfromthetop.com. I can be found there. You know, my email, my phone number, everything's there. Uh, Twitter is at VFTCoach. I would love for you to go there. If you're interested in really learning about who I am, you can go to viewfromthetop.com forward slash book, and you can get a copy of my book, View From The Top. It's actually in every bookstore. It's in all the airports. It's at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, Books A Million, Walmart, Target. It's everywhere. So uh, go out there, get a copy of that, check it out. And uh, if you're interested in our mastermind groups, uh, I can assure you it will change your life. Aaron Walker, I appreciate you being on the Circuit of Success. Great stuff. Lots of great takeaways for me and for our listeners today. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Have a good one, buddy. Thanks for having me. Tune in next week for another episode of the Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 